0: The education sector is so different. I mean, here in the United States, it's different from state to state, but each country also has a different approach and things work differently. And so really understanding each of the systems, we think it's essential and what works well in each area.
1: Welcome to Innovation Talks. Join us weekly as we discuss with distinguished industry guests how to refine and improve corporate innovation and new product development as businesses aim for long-term success. Hosted by Paul Heller, Sophion CTO. If you're looking for additional information around new product development or corporate innovation, sign up for Sofian's newsletter where we share news and industry best practices monthly. The fastest way to do this is to go to sofian.com that's dot com, and click the sign up and stay informed box. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the show. Glad you could join us for another week. Today, we're going to talk about an interesting topic. Uh, there's been a lot of focus lately on sustainability, especially at the CEO and board levels. We see it in annual reports. I recently spoke about that. And there's some interesting new terminology out there. There's something called the Chief Sustainability Officer, which is CSO. Okay, is that as Chief Strategy Officer or Sustainability Officer? But so you got to kind of look and say what's behind the S. But certainly that is a, a key role in many companies. There's something called ESG stands for Environmental, Social and Governance. Then you hear some interesting terms like value driven consumers and greenwashing that's a that's an interesting term out there i I think you can probably imagine what that is but it's the presentation of being green when you're not really green you greenwash something and these new chief sustainability officers are connecting via social media in new ways and gardner just did a report three weeks ago on trends in the consumer goods uh industry and the top social media discussions that these chief sustainability officers are having, are these ESG-focused strategies, environmentally friendly materials, carbon footprint targets, social responsibility, and corporate strategy. That's what they're engaged in. And they're doing it at the social media level because it's, again, that connection to these consumers. And if you look at the sustainability leaders out there, like L'Oreal, Total, P&G, Levi, Ikea, many, many more, Unilever, could make a long list of those who are trying to really create environmentally friendly products and packaging and packaging is a big one as well. At the root of nearly all of these products and packaging are chemicals and therefore chemistry. And so I'm very excited to introduce our guest today, Amy Cannon. Amy holds the world's first PhD in green chemistry, uh, from the university of Massachusetts, Boston. And her research involved the environmentally benign synthesis of photoactive materials. She's the co-founder and executive director of Beyond Benign, which is a nonprofit organization dedicated to green chemistry education. And we had the opportunity to work together on a on an interesting project about 10 years ago, but we've been in touch since then. Amy, welcome to the show.
0: Thanks so much, Paul. Happy to be here.
1: Where are you joining us from today?
0: I am in New England. I am just north of Boston.
1: Great. Did that, uh, did that uh, was it a hurricane? No, it was just a tropical storm. Cause you any trouble?
0: No, we really just got a lot of rain, which I feel like so many <laughs> parts of the country here have gotten just either heat or rain. But yeah, yeah no, we, we didn't get too much, just, just some rain and wind. Not good, too bad.
1: good, good. And have you had a good summer?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, it's either been um, heat or rain. And so we try to take advantage of the heat when it's here and not (laughs) raining and get outside.
1: Great. Well, really appreciate you joining us, Amy. Tell us about Beyond Benign.
0: Yeah. So we started back in 2007 is really to fill a, a gap in chemistry education or help to fill a gap, I should say. Us chemists are traditionally not trained to understand anything about toxicity and hazard or how to bring that into really our design of chemical products. And so it's, it's really a missed opportunity for chemists to receive that training. So we started back in 2007 with a um, one of our core programs was, was in K-12 through 12 and really addressing that gap early and inspiring future scientists to pursue careers in chemistry with a particular focus on sustainability through green chemistry. And since then, we've built out a higher ed program to address the gap in colleges and universities. So uh, about halfway through our history, we started a program called Green Chemistry Commitment, which aims at... Departmental and institutional change in chemistry degree programs. And we're now really focused across that whole continuum that starts from K through 12 to higher ed and feeds into industry to better prepare students and scientists and citizens as well to design and choose more sustainable chemical products. Um, we see education really as central to creating change in the chemical industry.
1: Yeah, that would fit well with the, uh, the research about this increased discussion in social media. The consumers are getting more knowledgeable. They're starting to understand the impact of the products they're buying on the environment. And it's only going to grow, grow, grow. Have you seen interest from your side just grow over the, since 2007?
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think when we first started, people were kind of skeptical about what this whole green chemistry thing was and, and the importance of it. But as you said, consumers are demanding this. Consumers are expecting companies to contribute really to sustainability and to offer more sustainable products. And also, you know, so there's demand on the consumer side, but then on industry, industry is also, it's becoming more and more important and it's becoming sort of essential to providing better innovations that are, you know, not only better for the environment, but also cost effective and have that comparable performance. Um, so it's really nice to see that there's this demand on both sides and it's all sort of coming to a head.
1: Yeah, yeah. You and I were involved in a project about 10 years ago, trying to get some traction on the 12 principles of green chemistry. And we put up a website and it was really a lot of educational organizations were using it, but but not so many commercial companies yet. And I think it was just ahead of its time.
0: I think so. Yeah. Think that's right. Yeah.
1: And it, what wasn't there then, that's there now, is the different country governments putting regulation, putting focus, putting, it's not everywhere around the world, but certainly some countries are definitely leading in it. And like you said, the consumer aspect to it. Yeah. <laughs> the buck stops here. The people who are buying it are making their, their voices known, which is kind of neat. Maybe we, maybe we should resurface that website at some point. <laughs>
0: oh, absolutely. I would love to.
1: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, Amy, how'd you get involved in, in this aspect? It goes back to your research, right? And your graduate studies.
0: Oh, uh, yeah. Probably further back than that. But yes, I always had a passion for the environment and wanted to save the world, so to say, ever since eighth grade uh, when I started learning about environmental issues. And I was really interested in chemistry. I I had a great experience in high school with a great teacher, and often chemists um, are catalyzed by that, you know, exciting teacher or educator that they had in their history, right?
1: Yes, yes.
0: And so I was fortunate that I studied it in college but I thought that I would have to sort of apply my skills towards studying problems um, because so much was around environmental chemistry and understanding problems as opposed to solving problems. So when I when I got into graduate school, I actually met John Warner, who is one of the founders of the field of green chemistry, and wrote those 12 principles of green chemistry. And I was so inspired to, to learn that I could use my skills to actually design and solve problems as opposed to, so it, in my mind, all of a sudden chemistry was now the solution. It wasn't the problem. It was the solution. Maybe, yes, historically it's been part of the problem, but it's really central to the solution to getting us out and through to a more sustainable society. So, yeah, and then I, I just got passionate about the education piece because, again, I I uh, was recognized that as, that as a gap. I mean, I was fortunate that I was able to be part of the first degree program here in the United States um, at UMass Boston. And we were kind of making it up as we were going and trying to figure out what those, what those gaps were and what, what a PhD program would look like if it did have toxicology as a course offering, if it did have more training in green chemistry and setting up students with these skills to design better products in the first place.
1: Yeah, yeah that's great, that's great. What, what are some of those key aspects that are kind of the critical things to look at from the standpoint of, of being green?
0: Well, green chemistry is centered around those 12 principles and um, I think those are really a good framework for chemists to think about how to be greener. I would say there's never a true green product, right? I mean, we're always constantly striving to be better. It's, it's almost like, how are you going to have uh, zero impact? Well, <laughs> yeah, you know, you're going to constantly try to strive and get better and better. But these are things like looking at the complete life cycle of a chemical process or product you know, from the starting materials? Where do they come from? Where do they go? Do they degrade? Can you loop them back into that circular economy piece? You know, what solvents are you using? Are you using solvents? Uh, how much energy is used in the process? I, you know, one of your previous guests on your podcast was talking about the energy intensity of the chemical industry. I mean, and, and you know, bringing that down when we can is is essential. And, and that just, you know, is, is so beneficial in terms of sustainability. And then it's things like, you know, how we actually design, which what reagents we're using. And so there's a lot of different considerations in the process. And um, it's actually exciting in my, from my perspective for chemists to see that they play a central role in solving um, and there's countless examples of this playing a central role in solving really big challenges in the chemical industry.
1: Are there certain, I'm sure there are, certain countries that are leading or certain uh, areas that you'd say they're, they're way out in front and figuring this out? And who would they be?
0: Yeah, early on in the in the history of green chemistry, the pharmaceutical sector was actually one of the leaders to... They have some of the some really great resources that they've developed. They saw the benefit because uh, the pharmaceutical sector, you know, it's energy intensive. They use a lot of solvents because they're 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 making you know very valuable you know pharmaceutical ingredients for our society, right, and life-saving right. medicines. Yet at the same time, some of the processes, you know, if you looked at say Pfizer, for example, was was a really great leader in this space early on. And they took some of their really large APIs or, or pharmaceutical ingredients and redesigned them, and saw drastic reductions in solvents used, in the waste that's generated, in hazards. I mean, it, and this is, in the end, saving them uh, a good a good chunk of money um, yeah, if they okay. can figure out a better design of their. So they have a financial incentive to do mm-hmm. this for sure, but I think they also see the the sustainability uh, focus too. So since then, there's there's uh, so many different companies. You know, one of our partners is is Millipore Sigma Merck. I think you also, you yes, guys also talked you know about them, them on, on the, exactly. <laughs> yes. So you also spoke about them on one of the past podcasts and, and they are are redesigning many of their specialty chemicals and all the different chemical offerings. According to the 12 principles, they actually designed a tool similar to what we had worked on, you know, 10 years ago and they, it's called dozen 2.0 and that's <laughs> available. It's actually a public facing it's, a, it's an available tool that they have oh, um, nice. and they offer a good number of greener products. And, you know, they're seeing the, the importance of getting this out into education and also, you know, seeing that this is fundamental and, and really essential in figuring out how to get our economy to address things like global warming and, you know, climate change. Um, this is really going to be central to it.
1: Yeah. So there's a corporation, Right that definitely has shareholders financial shareholders responsibilities all of those and yet they are positioning themselves as a leader not only in the products that they they make but but in communication education awareness for the good of of the greater society right so that's 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 a great example and you mentioned you know a lot of, a lot of people would think okay the chemical right they think about the chemical and whether the chemicals Harmful for the environment or whatever, but you mentioned it's it's not just the chemical; it's the process, it's the amount of energy, it's the type of what goes in to create that chemical. There's a lot more to it, isn't there?
0: Absolutely. Regardless of what you're talking about, if it's a plastic, uh, so a polymer material, if it's a pharmaceutical ingredient, I mean, yes, there's solvents involved because usually you're you know it's you have to dissolve it into (laughs) into a uh, and heat it up in order to get you know, and again, I right. I know like some of these chemical processes that are particularly in the petroleum industry, they're very energy intensive because you're also sort of cracking and breaking things apart and putting them back together, and so you you need a lot of energy or pressure to make some of these uh, materials or molecules. So yeah, there's a lot of different considerations, and and um, there's a lot to take in and to to think about in order to improve.
1: Yeah, disposal of waste, right? Another big one, right? Yep, exactly. Recyclability of the waste itself, can it be reused? I I, I think uh, the increased awareness of the general consumers on energy use to create products, we're seeing it, we're getting it from, you know, you look at Bitcoin mining right now, there is so much written about the amount of energy to create Bitcoin, and that's expanding beyond Bitcoin into all products where consumers are starting to ask, well, okay, I got this product, but we, we always heard carbon footprint, but now this is this concept of this energy footprint, right? That's going to come right back into chemistry for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, if you, if you look back on your career there, are there, is there a success story that you'd say, oh, I'd love to share that one with the listeners? <laughs>
0: Yeah, we've got some exciting things currently happening at the moment. So in our green chemistry commitment program that we, that I mentioned, it's, it's an institutional commitment for colleges and universities to commit to implementing green chemistry in their departments, their chemistry departments. And we have just over 85 institutions that are involved with that. And we, here in the United States, we have a, we just implemented a new goal this year, 25 by 25. So here in the United States, we graduate about 22,000 chemists at all degree levels each year. So that, it's a good chunk. So that's, you know, from undergraduate through graduate school. And we would like to have, have by 2025, 25% of those students have a good grounding in green chemistry. So we're looking at that number as building a critical mass of students that can create change And and we've had some good successes over the past couple of years in building that, and um, we're looking forward to that. We have partners like Dow um, has been a really great partner of ours, and we're engaging with their academic partners that they do research with or recruit from and because they see this, again, as essential for the skills that they want to see of their incoming scientists. So that partnership has been really successful. They also have a target on HBCUs, um, historically, black colleges and universities here in the United States. And so we've engaged with our first three HBCUs here in the u s and really engaging a broader network of institutions and future scientists. so we're we're really excited about that.
1: That is I mean, you're you're touching the future, people's future. Um, I, I can't imagine a more fulfilling <laughs> job, you know, especially when you you see uh, a, a new scientist, a new chemist become interested in this. I, I, my my daughter is very active in environmental policy, and uh, I just I just know as a parent, it's so fulfilling to see that. So you yeah. must be, you must be really excited. How about globally? Are you connected in, into other organizations around the world that are kind of also doing this?
0: Yes, absolutely, and our green chemistry commitment program that i keep mentioning that one is gaining more global attention so we have some really wonderful institutions that have been have joined and we're learning more and more about what's going on throughout the globe and we just launched a new program that that's called the green chemistry teaching and learning community and this is a tool that's we're in the development it's a we're in the development of this tool It'll be an online community platform for the global green chemistry education community. And we really want it to be a global tool because we see, I mean, the chemical industry is global, right? It's its not just sure here in the U.S. <laughs> and, yeah. mm-hmm. and so we've been taking steps to really understand the global community better. And we're, we're officially now here in North America with, we, we just brought on two um, Canadian employees to, Build out to help, you know, sort of expand our our focus here, and then we're uh, looking at how to really approach because the education sector is so different. I mean, here in the United States, it's different from state to state, but each country also has a different approach, and things work differently. And so, really understanding this, each of the systems, we think it's essential, and what what works well in each area. So, yeah, there's so much happening in the United Nations, um, like the UN Sustainable Development Goals is a really big focus within the green chemistry education community and helping to see how, how we use chemistry as a tool to address those sustainable development goals. So there's a lot of great work coming out of the UN and UNIP as well. The UN Environmental Program has some really great guidance on green chemistry education, and so we're looking forward to you know figuring out how to develop and tap into those networks as well
1: too. Yeah. Well, I just did a recent podcast session with uh, Kataki Desai from the Ontario Center for Innovation. Yes. You guys yes. need to connect.
0: <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. You know, from a from a layman's perspective, I mean, if you're out there talking to people, there's a lot of worry about China. And is China taking it seriously? And people don't know and with the China can be very closed with what it brings out what it tells the world about what it's doing. So a lot of consumers are a little wary about that. Do you have a perspective on that? Whew, good question. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we, when we're looking at the education community, the sheer number of institutions in China, it's a large number. You know, We, we have a large number of education institutions here in the US, but China, it just really... It expands our networks, I should say. So we do not have a good, good handle on China yet. I would, I would say it's, it's on our radar of something to really understand better, but I would say no, at the moment we don't.
1: Well, it's not your, your responsibility. It's not your core remit, right?
0: No, but, but it's, but like I said, it's, you know, we have, uh, you know, the chemical industry is global and there are, you know, manufacturing, chemical manufacturing, there's lots of various, you know, Chemist China plays a big role in that, so it it's got to be part of the consideration of the future of you know what our work and where we're going, but we have not approached it, but we know folks in the green chemistry education community that have, and mm-hmm. we would bring in their
1: expertise for that, yeah, sure yeah does if you think about from an education standpoint, you mentioned uh there's corporate education there's uh university education there's k through 12 education where do you see the emphasis is it mostly corporate is it mostly higher education where is the focus right now for our work or just yeah. in general well maybe both that's i hadn't thought <laughs> it's good yeah yeah i was thinking your work but in general would be also good to know
0: right now our work is focused um, mostly in k through 12 and higher education we have done a small percentage of work for industry as well and designing some specific courses for industry to use in some of their internal programs, which, which I think is essential because, um, you know, providing that green chemistry training that might be missing from a chemist background for the current practitioners and for the current professionals, I think is really going to be essential. Our focus is, again, across that whole continuum from K through 12 through industry And we see if we can better prepare students to be entering into careers already with these skills in mind, these scientists are going to be set up for better innovations. They're going to be set up, they're going to have skills that industry really values. So we see, you know, that pipeline as essential, but we also, again, see that value in industry for um, helping to train the current workforce. We'll just be launching our a new strategic plan this year, which will include industry in it as a longer term focus of ours to really help contribute to training current industrial scientists
1: as well. Tell me more about that plan. Where do you, where do you see things next year and in five years from now for the things you're doing?
0: Yeah. Well, I mentioned our 2025 goal for our college and universities. In our K-12 education program, we have a North American goal because of the diversity and just the sheer number of schools. It just is is so much larger of, a, you know, within the K-12 yeah. community yeah. and the diversity of approaches that are used here in the United States and Canada. So within that, we're, we're building out our, so some of our goals around k is building out some of these regional networks. So, what we find actually both in K 12 and higher ed is peer to peer and social support networks are really essential for implementing change. So, our strategic plan is centered around how do we build a community of educators that are empowered to create change and what and how, you know, and what we're talking about is STEM reform, changing yeah. STEM Ooh. education, which is not easy. It's I not easy. I love that
1: word, STEM and, reform. <laughs> fantastic.
0: It is. And, it's, yeah. and it turns out it's hard, I bet. but there's some really great case studies and examples and studies that can be held up as, as great models for how to create change in STEM education and again it's it's so our work will be fostered around community building and it's that peer to peer supports for educators coupled with resources and professional development and all of the other resources and materials that are needed to prepare educators to create change we find well it looks like that's what really helps to create change so That's why one of our our program, the Green Chemistry Teaching and Learning Community, I think will be an essential tool for enabling this global community to create change. So yeah, we've been doing, uh, it's funny, like our work has started around more developing resources and filling some of these gaps and then providing professional development for educators. And now we're digging into things like understanding theories of change and understanding how do you take a community of practice and turn it into a community of transformation? So all of these things, you know, and and what does it take to bring an innovation or an idea to full adoption, which are, these are, so we're looking at a lot more like theory-based things that are trying to ground them in evidence as well, and then shift our practices towards that. So it's a lot of Exciting work, in my opinion, but we hope we're going in the right direction.
1: <laughs> well, it must be incredibly personally fulfilling, satisfying. I mean, you talk about you know at the end of the day, you look and you say, "Am I making a difference?" Well, you certainly are. Uh, you know, maybe it doesn't feel like it every day, but 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 you are. We I hope mean, so. Yes, yes, and it's really interesting when you made the comment that the skills that you're developing in the young people today as they, right? Like you, you got, you got excited by a a high school chemistry teacher, right? I mean, I think many of us can relate to a person, a influencer, oftentimes an educator, most times an educator who set us on a career path. So to the extent that you help people, you're right. I mean, the industry is going to need these skills. Sustainability is only becoming more and more and more important. Maybe it's not tipped where it's the only thing corporations are worried about but it's it's heading that way it's it's getting stronger and stronger so yeah i mean to the extent that uh, people are better prepared to uh, participate in that when they get there exactly it's a long haul you're in it for the long haul <laughs>
0: exactly yeah and these scientists that have these skills can make real changes too yes. so there's some yeah. really great examples of that you know yeah. like there's a great life cycle assessment that just by swapping out one solvent from a petroleum-based to a, a bio-based, you can see a, in this one case study for an industrial setting, you saw a 97% reduction in, in greenhouse gases. Wow. I mean, that's huge. And that's a solution through chemistry.
1: That's a, that's a fantastic example. That's super. Well, any last uh, thoughts you'd like to share with uh, our, our audience? Get them... Uh thinking about things that they could do or get more involved?
0: <laughs> well, we'd be happy to hear from anyone if you have, you know, kids in school that you want to connect a teacher with us or maybe share some resources. All of our materials are available on our website, open access, free of charge for educators to use and adapt as they see fit. So please point them in our direction or connect them right with us. They're all out there for for folks to use Yeah. or connecting with your alma mater, or your, your college or university that you're connected with, we're, we're happy to always you know engage with new folks that might be interested in this.
1: Yeah. So I mean, will put this, all of this in the show notes, but what, what is the uh, URL of, of your organization?
0: Yes, beyondbenign.org. There
1: you go. Just like it sounds.
0: Yeah. And I should mention beyond benign, people always wonder what the word, what the name comes from. It's uh, Well, in green chemistry for a green chemistry technology to be successful in the marketplace. It can't just have environmental benefits, so it can't just be benign, but it also has to have comparable economics and performance in order for it to succeed. So we're not just looking for sustainability. We're looking for things that are also, again, have that economics and the efficacy to succeed. And that's what a successful green chemistry technology is all about.
1: More than benign, beyond benign. Yes, there you beyond go. benign.
0: I it's a bit it. of a tongue twister. So Yeah, but it's,
1: <laughs> it says it all. It's hard to come up with a name and that's a great one. Uh, any, What else? If people want to follow you, are there places where they can connect with you besides the website?
0: Yeah, we are on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. And again, just beyond benign at beyond benign. So you, you can find us there.
1: Great, great. Amy, thanks a lot for joining us. It's been a wonderful discussion. Uh, I couldn't wish a person like you more success because uh, you know it's it's the future of of the planet. And just just keep going. Yeah, <laughs> oh, thank support. you so much, Paul. <laughs>
0: thank you so much for having me.
1: You bet. And, uh, <laughs> let's keep in touch. We'll talk again. I'd love to uh, check in with you in in the future. Maybe see how, what's new. Thanks, Paul. Everybody, thanks for joining us. We hope you have a good week ahead of you and uh, really appreciate you tuning in. Until next time, have a great time, bye-bye. Thanks for joining us this week for Innovation Talks with Paul Heller. For additional information on today's topic, check out sophion.com, S-O-P-H-E-O-N.com where you will find plenty of innovation-centric content and corporate best practices. If you'd like to discuss anything with Paul or would like to get in touch with the show, email us, at talks at sophion.com.